Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Uh, This morning on the call of the Master, and let me open with this inspiring example uh, that comes out of uh, the life of William Carey. William Carey was born in a forgotten village in the dullest period of the dullest of all centuries. His family was poor, and he was poorly educated. A skin affliction made him sensitive to outdoor work, so he apprenticed to a nearby shoemaker. When he didn't do well at cobbling, he opened a school to supplement his income. That didn't go well either. He married, but his marriage proved unhappy. A terrible disease took the life of his baby daughter and left Carey bald for life. I thank God I still have some gray hair. He was called to pastor a small church, but he had trouble being ordained because of his boring sermons. Not a likely prospect to become the father of modern missions. But when Carey borrowed a copy of Captain Cook's Voyages, the famous sailor's journals gripped him. He started thinking of overseas evangelism. On the wall of his cobbler's shop, he hung a homemade map of the world, jotting down facts and figures besides the countries. And he began to feel that something should be done to reach the world for Christ. Until then, most Protestants believed the Great Commission had been given only to the original apostles. Carey insisted it was binding on all succeeding generations of Christians, an idea that brought scorn from many preachers. He was called a miserable enthusiast. At one Baptist meeting, Dr. John C. Ryland, the man who had baptized him, said, Young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, He'll do it without consulting you or me. The rebuke moved Carey to write a book published on May 12, 1792. Listen to this title. An inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens in which the religious state of different nations of the world, the success of former undertakings, and the practicability of further undertakings are considered. Despite its unwieldy title, this 87-page book became a classic in Christian history that deserves a place along Luther's 95 Theses. In its influence on subsequent church history, it led to the formation of a missionary society, funds being collected in a snuff box. The proceeds were used to send Carey to India, launching the modern era of missions. Carey fulfilled his famous saying, I can plod. I want to uh, stir your thoughts this morning about the Master's call, and always remember, whoever you are here today, that God doesn't look on the outward appearance like man does, but God looks upon the heart. And I want to particularly home in on the subject of your calling. I want this to be a major anchor point that when things surely assault, as they will, This can become a reference point that you can look back to from time to time and gain strength for your, uh, for whatever you're going through. And I want to tell you something. The enemy definitely is going to seek to undermine this. And if he can, if he can hit you at this very, very crucial point, uh, he will effectively paralyze your ministry. And it's uh, very 
doubtful that you'll last very long. Many times I've had course to remind myself and the Lord that the call into ministry was his idea. In John chapter 15 and verse 16, you have not chosen me, Jesus said, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it unto you. If this can be answered decisively, if this becomes very clear in your thoughts, a settled conviction, it will definitely simplify what lies ahead for your life. It'll help you to set the sails of what you're going to do, what kind of work you're going to do, what you're going to do with your spare time, how you're going to arrange your finances and so forth. And it's very, very powerful to have a focus. Somebody wrote in a book this statement, the sun is a powerful source of energy. Every hour, the sun washes the earth with billions of kilowatts of energy. Yet with a hat and some sunscreen, you can bathe in the light of the sun for hours at a time with few ill effects. A laser is a weak source of energy. A laser takes a few watts of energy and focuses them in a coherent stream of light. But with a laser, you can drill a hole in a diamond or you can wipe out cancer. And saying that, I want to look at our text in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 14, hopefully uh, provide some clarification and possibly be used by the Holy Spirit for some confirmation. Matthew 22 verse 14, Jesus Christ says these words, many are called, but few are chosen. I want to begin by looking at receiving the call, and for sure there's a number of ways that God can Uh, impress upon a man's heart that he is to be separated for the ministry. Just as God saves uh, in various ways, he's an infinite uh, God of variety, that he can use all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of situations to call each one of us to salvation. There, likewise, are many approaches that God uses to call us into ministry. However, there's some common threads that I want to look at from the Scripture. Also, it's uh, very fit to mention this morning that there are different seasons and chapters um, to the call. There may be an initial call that is very clear and uh, that God sets us apart for himself and for his ministry, but it's been the experience of ministers over the time, over the process of time for recommissions uh, and uh, some fine-tuning along the way. And you could kind of put it this way, that there are calls within the call. It's not a one-size-fits-all in regard to someone that's called for ministry. Some have been called from the moment of salvation, like Saul of Tarshish. Others have served God over a process of time, and it's become apparent as they give themselves to seeking God and going on and maturing in the things of God that God uh, summons them. Others, like Timothy, have been raised in the church uh, and raised up um, at a later age uh, to become pastors. So let's examine... Uh, some of the more general ways that the call is given and received. First of all, the call of God is heard. We have uh, the example of Saul of Tarshish in Acts chapter 26, verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things, which you have seen and of those things in the which... I will appear unto thee. Samuel also would fit into this category. 
is a young attendant there in the, in the temple. Uh, Eli is his uh, covering, and he keeps hearing the voice of God that's calling him. He mistakes this uh, uh, with uh, his headship's voice. He keeps going to, set to Eli, and finally Eli recognizes this is the Lord's uh, stirring and, uh, and coaches him how to respond. In 1 Samuel 3, verse 8, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. There comes a time when every wise leader... Uh, directs those that are under his authority, under his ministry, uh, to go directly to God. John Stott has this statement to make. God spoke to Samuel when he listened to God. Then when Samuel spoke to Israel, they listened to him. So first of all, the call of God is heard. Secondly, the call of God is overheard. An example of this would be Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have the vision that unfolds before the prophet. And in the day that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And so here is a uh, vision that unfolds before this man of God as he is uh, privy to the conversation being held amongst the Trinity He overhears uh, the appeal, and uh, he responds to this uh, after the Lord uh, takes a coal and cleanses his lips uh, and uh, makes him uh, uh, worthy uh, uh, to stand and and worthy uh, uh, to minister. So then there's another way. The call of God is seen. Again, we could use Paul in another chapter of his ministry. He's in the city of Athens. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those that happened to be there. So here's Paul. He's actually holed up there in Athens. He's waiting for the rest of his team, a ministry team. And as he begins to survey what the goings-on of this city, he begins to feel a Holy Ghost pressure and a Holy Ghost agitation that creates a burden for him. And because of what he sees, he takes this as a call to launch into ministry. I can testify that really that's what prompted me in the Philippines. I used to go to the Philippines and uh, preach crusades before we went over there as missionaries. And I'll never forget one particular night as we were uh, getting ready to do a a crusade in a little town called Bisley. I was there at the the platform uh, on the, uh, there was an open little field there on the stage. uh, And on the uh, peripheral, uh, uh, the uh, huts were, uh, people's huts in the jungle. And the people began to stream out. And I'll never forget the sensation. It's almost like I was just uh, simply watching as a spectator, and I heard a voice speak within me uh, that said that these people are like sheep that have gone astray, and they're either going to listen to uh, communist preachers or they're going to listen to my preachers. Uh, and I felt a, a visitation of compassion. I saw something, uh, and that provoked me, uh, and that stirred me uh, to a call and to respond to it. The last category I want to highlight, is the call of God is not only seen, but the call of God oftentimes is overseen. 
There's a number of times the Lord will use a headship person or a pastor to pull the trigger, so to speak, that nudges a young pastor, a young disciple into the ministry. We have the account of Elijah. And he comes, and here's Elisha. He's, uh, he's a man that's at work, and uh, the mantle is cast over him. Uh, and so this is interpreted very clearly by Elisha that God's using uh, Elijah to call him. And then we have Barnabas. We have uh, Barnabas and Saul in Acts chapter 13 in verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I was reading an account of D.L. Moody when he started his Bible school in the late 1800s. He didn't have any students yet. He was ministering, and he looked into an audience. His eyes fastened upon a young man. He said, young man, uh, have you answered the call of God yet? And and he just dropped that on him. Later after the service, he found him out. He said, young man, what are you doing uh, with the call of God? And the man began to beg off. He said, look, I've got a great job. I'm making piles of money. He said, leave the money and come to my school. The man, in fact, did that and became D.L. Moody's first uh, graduate at his Bible school, um, the first of many. So here's an example of a man uh, that uh, prompts or sparks um, uh, somebody to step out. I want to hasten to say, you cannot live on other men's promptings. When Elisha responded uh, and he came, he said, could I go home and say to my parents goodbye? Elijah very clearly said to him, what have I done? I've been used by the Lord to, uh, to set the stage and to pull the trigger here, but uh, you need to work this out between you and the Lord. I was visiting my mom a number of years ago back in uh, Wenham, Massachusetts, and there was a bird that alighted on the fence, a very distinctive bird, charcoal color with a ebony crown. And I, I, my mom is a bird watcher, and so I looked at that bird. I said, what kind of bird is that? And she said without hesitation, oh, that's a cat bird. And then she added something very fascinating to me. She said, oh, that's the bird that has no song of its own. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, well, while it's in the northern hemisphere, it uh, picks up and listens to the various songbirds around it, picks up their uh, songs, begins to mimic, uh, and uh, can carry on and whistle a sweet tune with, that, with whatever kind of bird it's with. However, when it migrates down south during the winter, it jettisons all of those songs, uh, and it picks up the songs of the uh, southern birds, uh, and so that's the bird that has no song of its own. You know, I've met some disciples that are like that. Yeah. They're here today. You're, you know, hey, yeah, I'm called. I'm, I'm wanting to be called. I'm stirred. But you see, where it's really threshed out is out on the streets, on the job, uh, and the process of time and ministry in your church. We could cite Lot. As long as Lot was in the shadow of Abraham... You know, he's a very commendable man. He was willing to leave. He was willing to uh, forsake all and and walk in faith. And as long as he had the covering of his uh, uh, headship, Abraham, he did great. Uh, But when he spun off to his own, uh, the conviction, the spirit of the peace was not in him, uh, and he spun out. We have young Josiah, who was a king, and under the tutelage of uh, Jehoiada, uh, he did tremendous. But the Bible tells us uh, uh, that the day came that Jehoiada passed on, uh, and this man began to unravel. Second Chronicles 24, verse 2. 
And Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. Verse 17 and 18, now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. And the king listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. We thank God that God has raised up Pastor Mitchell and, and our leader. But uh, what will happen if, uh, if uh, he passes on? What will you do about TVs then? Now, Jehoiada lived to be 140 years old, so we need to claim Pastor Mitchell is going to uh, make that age, amen? You know, you're going to have to uh, have your own convictions for sure, especially uh, in, the, in a situation where you're launched out and you're far from, uh, you're far from your homeboys, you're far from uh, the affirmation of your pastor every day. And, um, uh, you know, an example that I'd like to cite was a young man that was raised up in the Sierra Vista congregation. This guy, uh, he could uh, sing a cat off the back of a, of a fish truck. He had uh, speaking skills. He was able to play music. He was, a, uh, he was a powerful disciple. He had all the makings, all the appearances of being a very successful minister of the gospel. He, uh, uh, he uh, presented himself to be a disciple. Uh, he came through the process of time uh, and was the uh, door director. Finally, uh, the day came. We launched him into Artesia, New Mexico. And so he was out for about a year. Uh, absolutely nothing happened. And he came back about a year later uh, with his tail between his legs. I'll never forget the interview I had with him in my office. He said, you know, Pastor, he said, I never really did believe I was called. And when the time came when they were going to lay hands on me at conference, Pastor Mitchell was going to lay his hand on me at conference, everything within me uh, wanted to backpedal uh, and run away. I said, dude, why didn't you do it? Would have saved us $50,000 in a whole year of, uh, of backing you. Went to God. And so you can put on a good show. Many have uh, done it over the years. Uh, but uh, the truth of the matter is... Uh, it doesn't matter who your pastor is, uh, you're going to have to pay your own price. And the Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. The currency of your own convictions uh, is what's going to hold you in good stead, come what may. I want to look secondly at the releasing the call. Every call or vision of being called involves a process. There's no such thing as pastors and evangelists or uh, powerful prophets that come full-grown and there's going to be a vision that God works in us, and then it's our part to work out the things that God has worked in. This involves a process of maturation, what we call discipleship. That's that crucial period of time of the incubation of the gospel and fellowship truths that if you'll truly lay hold of, um, they will work, um, they will produce uh, wherever you're sent. Um, and uh, what we do as a fellowship works, hallelujah. What we do as a fellowship works anywhere and everywhere in any kind of culture uh, because um, it is the blueprint of heaven, hallelujah. Somebody says, uh, you know, this church planting and, uh, you know, some of the uh, percentages, so on and so forth, it's not... Uh, that high. I want to make a statement to correct uh, that. And uh, the statement is, fellow the fellowship has not been tried and found wanting. It has been tried and found difficult. Uh, and therefore, many have opted to try to find shortcuts. But it's no, no deal. 
You know, God powerfully, and I uh, trust that as Pastor Payne was uh, ministering, uh, I was thinking about this. We also need to appreciate the fact that we could have been saved in some, uh, you know, some retarded church. We could have been saved in some, uh, you know, uh, uh, bumbling, laughing uh, uh, church, at carpet-swimming church, or, or puking church, or uh, all kinds of nutbags that are running loose. Thank God that God did save us in this fellowship. You do have a powerful, wonderful heritage, uh, and uh, we're not the only thing, but we are the main thing, I believe, in the earth. Now, you can say whatever you want, but everything starts from a seed. Hallelujah. You see, it's a whole package. There's fundamental principles, and there are a pattern that God gives to us and has given to us. It's been forged out. Most importantly, there is an embracing the Spirit, and when those things are in place, I believe that the work will prosper any place, anywhere. We can sum this up with John chapter 12, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, having said that, I also want to uh, go to man's component. Um, You might be the next Billy Graham. You might be the next Pastor Mitchell, the Apostle Paul. um, But it's never going to happen um, without you. The scripture that I read uh, is very short uh, and very poignant. uh, And it speaks and says that there's many that have a genuine call. uh, And yet, for whatever reason, um, they're disqualified along the way. Now, I only want to focus on one that is very crucial, and that is the, uh, the issue of initiative. Never going to happen without you. There's an old adage that goes like this, um, he who sits, God lets sit. We're told in many places to stir up the gift. We're told to add to our faith. We're told um, in the Old Testament, why sit we here till we die? We're told about Jonathan that it's not of the, it doesn't matter to the Lord whether he saves by many or by few. And so if we're called, therefore, uh, there needs to be a cultivating of that calling. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Every gift that God gives to us is always in an embryo form. And the good news is, the very exciting news, is that it has the ability to grow and it has the ability to be stretched and added to. We look at the uh, testimony of even Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. And Jesus, the New American Standard Version says, kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So Robertson's word pictures of the New Testament has this, uh, uh, this interesting note. The verb there about him increasing is uh, it's a, an imperfect active tense of the Greek word. It means that he kept cutting his way forward as through a forest or jungle as pioneers did. There's an old um, uh, word or an old statement that captures what I'm after here, and that is without God, we cannot, without us, He will not. And so there's that facet that has to be there and furnished by your own initiative. You see, this is the confidence um, that we can have about our calling. 
overlapping a very mysterious and very marvelous thought about, uh, uh, about the sovereignty of God is that um, right now, uh, the Lord is far more involved in your calling and far more involved in your destiny uh, than you may at first imagine. This becomes uh, more real to me as the years go by. The Bible tells us that we're to grasp the ways of the Lord. Isaiah 28 verse 13 tells us a primary way that God works with us. The word of the Lord was to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. Now I ask you to consider that this is, um, uh, in most cases, this is God's um, strategy and his means of approach. Right from the very first page of the Bible. When God sets himself to go to work, uh, the Bible tells us he moved in a measured fashion. First, he spoke light into the darkness. Then he began to order things, place boundaries. Then he began to place uh, uh, that which would uh, bear fruit um, and the crown of his creation man. But there was not one simple word and everything in full uh, development was uh, just plopped out. Uh, but he moved in progression, and there was an unfolding in the six days of creation. So, you and I, likewise, we need to have a confidence that, you know what, we are bound up in the Lord's bundle of life. If you are really called, you can have a tremendous assurance, no matter what is happening in the moment, you can have a tremendous assurance, my times, your times, are in the hand of the Lord, and the lines have fallen to us in very pleasant places. I need to move from the general of what I know, and if I'll do that, if I'll be faithful to the things that God has set before my hand, then I can have an assurance that God will specifically hone those things and fine-tune the things that have to do with our life. Amen. The Bible tells us the path of the just shines more and more unto the perfect day. The Bible says that light shall be sown for the righteous. Now think with me uh, about our task. God has called us to win souls. God has called us to build the bride of Christ and, and uh, to go into many places and to seek for the son, the bride. Here we have a, a, a type that comes from the Old Testament, it's very clear, about um, the, uh, similar to what we're called to. It's Abraham's servant that is sent to fetch a bride for the son, Isaac. How's this going to work out? So the father speaks to the servant, unnamed type of the Holy Spirit, speaks to him and says, go into such and such a place in this direction, go to this house and take a bride for my son, and so this man, without a GPS, he doesn't have a, you know, the, you know, he doesn't have the way to dial in the streets, and he doesn't have a, you know, a cell phone to call ahead and range all the particulars. Uh, here's this man that is moving out, knows the general direction. He heard the command. Uh, he moves in the direction that he's supposed to. Uh, as he's going along, he comes to finally uh, uh, the general vicinity of where he's supposed to be. See, some of you be launched out into cities and strange nations, uh, and it's just going to be so overwhelming as all of these different factors are here. And so take, us, take encouragement uh, from this account. So here's uh, the uh, servant, it's probably uh, uh, Eliezer, and as he's there, he's, he prays to God. He said, okay, 
Uh, Lord, um, I need your help in this uh, endeavor. Uh, and in, in Genesis 24 and verse 27, uh, blessed be the Lord God of my master. Oh, 24-12. Uh, oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray you, send me good speed this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Here's a tremendous um, truth. He gets there. He doesn't have a clue what's going to happen, and, and he doesn't have a vision yet of what she's going to look like or what her name is. Uh, and so he prepares the, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the rendezvous that's to take place by praying and asking for God to show him a sign uh, and a token uh, of favor. Rebecca comes. She fulfills this sign. She has a servant spirit. Uh, come to find out um, uh, she is um, uh, related to Abraham. His heart quickens. Uh, he knows this is a divine appointment. Uh, and very worthy to note in Genesis 24, 27, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not left destitute my master of his mercy and truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Please don't miss that. This is such a powerful truth that plays out over and over again. You may think and you will think. I'll guarantee you. I can prophesy. If you go out to Pioneer, you're going to think this is the most crazy, uh, irrational, ludicrous, uh, and a far-fetched thing that you've ever done. You're going to wonder how anybody ever convinced you uh, uh, to uh, pull up stakes and go. Things are going to seem disjointed. Things are going to seem crazy. You're going to ask yourself, how in the world did they do it back home on and on and on. But you see, as he moved out, and from the place where he knew to begin, and what the direction that he had clearly had mapped out, as he moved in the general direction of obedience and faithfulness, God kicks in. You see, this plays out again and again in so many powerful Old Testament types. You need to encourage yourself with this. We have the little Moabitess, Ruth, and she, uh, she aligns herself, she joins herself to the people of God, and uh, so she's a powerful illustration of the bride of Christ. She's a foreigner, and she's cursed uh, 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 from a cursed background. But she says, you know something, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to leapfrog all of those, uh, uh, all of those obstacles, uh, and I'm going to tie my fate to the people of God, the covenant uh, of Jehovah God. So here she is. She's a widow. She's a Moabitess. She's got all these strikes against her. She comes into the land with her mother-in-law that's not really uh, the epitome of, of uh, you know, brimming over with faith. Uh, Naomi, is ch uh, uh, she's changed her name, uh, and uh, she calls herself bitter, uh, and uh, she's a bitter old lady, and all of these things are against her. But Ruth says, you know what? I can do something. I can go out and labor. I can go out and glean. This is a very, very humble and dangerous situation. She goes out. She doesn't know. She just simply says, God, help me. And she goes out with a good spirit to labor. Uh, lo and behold, she alights upon the field of Boaz. Lo and behold, uh, uh, the attention of Boaz, the master, uh, uh, is drawn to her. Uh, he says, feed her, give her handfuls on purpose. Don't you dare touch her. Uh, thank God that Jesus Christ uh, is our Boaz. And thank God there's all kinds of forces the Lord has stepped in between and says, don't you touch him. That's the only way we're going to be able to pull off uh, this incredible adventure of evangelizing the world. And so as she works it through, um, she ends up uh, falling in love and or actually marrying uh, uh, Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. Very clear picture of the bride of Christ. Excellent example cited last night of this very thing by Pastor Mitchell. 
Philip starts as a servant, just like we start in our church. We get saved in Pastor Payne's sermon of encouragement to serve. He serves. When he's done his role of serving, he still has time for evangelism. I'm going to tell you something. If you're called, have time for evangelism. And if you say, well, I don't have time, get in the custom of bringing some tracks, get in the custom of witnessing to the attendant at, at uh, Circle K or whatever, and, uh, because it's, 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 it's actually, uh, it's actually uh, uh, you know, a contradiction. I'm called to pastor, but I never witness. If you can win souls, you know what? There's a good prospect that the Lord will help you to preach later on. And so uh, here's Philip. He finds time to evangelize. He's out. Uh, God uh, triggers revival in Samaria. Because he's doing this, God's able to now home in and, and sharpen the edge of this man's understanding of the will of God. Is able to redirect him uh, to go out to Gaza, which is a desert place. Uh, and as he goes in the general direction, now he begins to um, uh, funnel him closer. Uh, join yourself to this chariot, um, this particular man that's reading uh, a particular portion of Scripture uh, on the Messiah. And so there's a divine appointment, uh, but that never would have happened. That never would have been the, uh, uh, the uh, culmination had he not started off in the general direction that he's supposed to. You see, our problem is uh, we want from A to Z so we can examine the plan so we can mess with it. You see, God cannot steer a ship that's not moving. Faithful men are given more and more opportunities. Many times, it seems overwhelming. If we're going to be really, really uh, practical and real about this, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life. And you're going to find out that to pioneer, it's not as easy as it looks. And it's not, you know, you're going to go out in your quiver. You've got a couple of little uh, door scene 10-minute uh, altar calls. And that's used up the first week of your, of your church. And you've got to be honest because your wife's here keeping you honest. You, got, you can't preach that again and again. And so now you're going to start to have to uh, find out that uh, truly, to be, it's not your slick personality. It's not, you know, that, uh, wow, you sing some uh, Potter's House choruses. Uh, uh, you know, it's not, it's not that you've got some big, bad, uh, uh, you know, JBL speakers. Uh, you're going to find out that you're going to have to lay hold of God. Uh, and it's absolutely mind-boggling. It's totally, totally beyond you and I. Uh, and uh, it always... Uh, uh, brings me to that humorous, uh, uh, that humorous uh, time that I uh, spoke to my wife. She's, she's, it just reminds me, pioneering reminds me of me uh, nudging Michelle to learn to drive in the Philippines. You've got to understand, they don't have uh, uh, any concept of orderly driving. Uh, the lines mean nothing. Uh, they drive uh, like uh, bumper cars, uh, you know, zigzag up on the sidewalk on the wrong side of the road. It's, all, it's actually very, very exciting. If you're a real man, it's very exciting. It's much more exciting than this staid and, uh, and boring uh, uh, place called America. But you know what? Uh, my wife, my poor little wife is freaking out. I'm going on a crusade with Harold Warner and Richard Rubia, and I'm going to be gone for a full week. She's got to drive the kids to school. It's crazy. Uh, and she says, okay, okay. I helped her to learn how to drive a standard, uh, uh, you know, stick shift. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, but, you know, she's really apprehensive. And she says, but, honey, you know what? 
freaks me out is those intersections. Man, sometimes they're coming from every direction. They're not putting their brakes on. They're shooting the gap. They're racing through. And she says, uh, I just don't think I can do the intersections. Uh, I, 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 how am I going to drive the intersection? I said, honey, just kind of coast up to the intersection uh, and make your wheels keep turning and a way will open up. I came back a week later. She's lit like a Christmas tree. She says, oh, honey, it worked. It worked. It worked. So oftentimes, you know, if you really stop, it's, it's quite humorous. Uh, and uh, we send somebody out, uh, you know, okay, brother, sister, we believe in you. We're sending you to Houston. We're sending you to Denver. We're sending you to uh, Bombay, India. And uh, they don't have a clue of what awaits them. They're going to have to go by their wits. Uh, and, uh, but you know what? As they keep their wheels, their spiritual wheels turning, um, God makes a way uh, and uh, God helps them uh, and a way forward uh, opens up. You know, I want to encourage you, keep on doing whatsoever your hand finds to do. And if you're faithful there, God will drop another handful of purpose. uh, And God, the path of the just uh, opens up more and more to the perfect day. Let me close with the call resisted. I've talked about the call uh, received. I've talked about the call released. I want to close with the call resisted. Now, very naturally, we should expect with our eyes wide open That something that's so powerful and such a threat to hell is going to be fiercely opposed. And you can mark this down. The big guns of hell are going to be directed against you. If that's the case, and I warn you, be sober about this right here. And you know what? Uh, You ought to really be sober. Think it through. I know a lot of times when we're, you know, our ego says, I can handle this. I can handle this. But I would prefer, in fact, I've now uh, brought this into my uh, training of men. I ask them several times along the way. I give them an exit if they want to get off. And I've had men that after a period of time being trained to be the next guy to go out. I've had uh, cases where a guy has told me the truth, says, you know what, Pastor, Uh, sampling this and thinking this through and praying this through, I don't believe that I'm really called, and I appreciated that, uh, though it set me back. uh, I would rather have a man be honest with me now uh, than go out and have no confidence uh, uh, on the field and have to be reeled back in, possibly in a body bag, uh, six months to a year. So I would rather you really be honest and count the cost. God reveals hell's clear sentiments in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2 and verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Bible names ever present us an insight to the soul. Sanballat, the name Sanballat means strength. Tobiah literally means Jehovah is good. And so here is a a man from a cursed place or cursed race, and he's got a name, a religious name. He's got a profession, and I would just use the type. He's got a profession uh, of godliness, but he has denied the power thereof. So let's take these two uh, uh, together that the Lord has helped us to see. Two spirits that I'm guaranteeing you are fiercely going to oppose you. Um, There's going to be strong personalities, um, and there's going to be false um, religion. And I want to highlight one that's capable of really taking you out of the running and especially um, 
uh, your wife. If you don't get the victory over this, you're not going to last in the ministry. Uh, and what I'm talking about, one of the weapons, the chief weapons the devil uses uh, is the weapon uh, of rejection. You know, when you're dealing with people in the ministry, you are going to see the worst side of people. I remember going out and uh, one of the elder brothers spoke to me and said, uh, said Olson, in the ministry, you're going to see two extremes. You're going to see the perverseness of, of uh, humanity, and you're going to see the best of humanity. Uh, and boy, has that truth, uh, that statement ever proven to be true. You're going to have to go. There's no exceptions in this one. You're going to have to go through what I call the baptism of rejection. Uh, we hate rejection. I was thinking about Cain. When Cain felt rejected, he went away from the presence of the Lord. So just think about it. If you start to feel rejection on your spirit, it doesn't drive you towards God. It causes you to get funky and twisted and causes you to go away. So something powerful, something so uh, warping about that spirit of rejection. So while we can be here and we're with our our uh, our own kind, we have people that appreciate us and people that applaud us and whatever, we can all be very, very bold and we can all be very cocksure of things. Uh, but out in the street, a uh, tough guy, that street out there might chew you up. And a world of difference between a theory and the practical Reality where the shoe leather hits the ground and you meet some devils. And you're not going to pull it off, the fantasy you've constructed so carefully of how it's going to unfold for you, and you're different than everybody else. It was hard for somebody else, but you're uh, more special or you're more loved by the Lord, and so you're going to have an easy time. I remember actually having that uh, uh, delusional moment. I went to Cortez, Colorado. I had four couples come in the first month, and I remember the Lord's my witness walking from the parsonage to the church and saying, why did they say this is going to be so hard? This guy just stopped over and gave me $70 tithe after he got paid. He said, I wanted to give this to you, Pastor, because you know what? I just want to believe, I believe in tithing, and I want to support the church. And I remember... You know what? Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like a, a purposeful pride. But you know what? Uh, the, the worst punches to ever get hit are uh, the sucker punches. And so three of those couples spun out on me within a, within a couple of weeks and said some words that were very, very, uh, very hard to hear. And I had my first baptismal uh, uh, experience my rites of passage uh, of rejection. Now, listen, we're in good company when we think along these lines. David, anointed, and but his father, his brothers, uh, his, his, his father-in-law, the king, his wife, uh, uh, his people, uh, many times, Absalom. Uh, and so many times, and this isn't just one time, trial that you pass, and uh, if you pass it, uh, you get to go past, go and collect 200 souls in your church. Uh, It doesn't work that way. Rejection's a powerful force. It can knock the wind out of your stomach. It can strike you uh, uh, when you least suspect. David faced it. Joseph, he's got a tremendous vision from God. It's authentic but yet uh, his bros uh, and uh, people turned on him and he faced, as Pastor Campbell ministered, uh, had to go through Potiphar's house, had to go through the pit and had to go through Potiphar's house, had to go through the prison. And finally, uh, uh, his flag was raised. Moses, 
He's a, a heavy dude. He's mighty in word. He's mighty in deed. Uh, and he goes down at 40. He's at age of maturity. He goes down. He says, now's the time for me to make my move. Uh, and he goes down. He smites an Egyptian. He's a heavy dude. The next day, he's thinking that he's going to be appreciated by that. Uh, and they basically, uh, 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 you know, tell him that where to go. They say, who made you judge over us? You think that you're going to, you think because you did that, you think because you came, you think because you, uh, you um, uh, quit your job, you think because you have a title pastor, you think that you're going to rule over us, you think you're going to tell us how to live? Now dig it, man, that spun him for 40 years. And in those 40 years' time, he lost the capacity how to speak clearly. <laughs> he said, I thought they would understand in Acts Uh, when Stephen gives that accounting, I thought they would understand, I thought they would appreciate, uh, and they did not, uh, and it spun him. Jesus came to his own, his own received him not. Why should you expect any different? You're not above your master. Paul, his first uh, sortie uh, out into preaching, he has to be run out of town on a rail, with a basket down the, uh, down the wall, disappears off the scene for three years, the quiet years in Arabia. And so my point is, is this can take out the big boys. This can take out anybody amongst does, uh, you're not going to escape. Uh, and so there is, um, uh, there may be a time, I don't want to paint a bleak picture, there may be a time for acceptance and approval that you crave, uh, but generally uh, that is a dividend uh, in the ministry that is a long way off from pioneering. Uh, and to tell you the truth, you may not even be appreciated until you leave. So you're going to have to navigate the landmines of disappointment with people. And this is going to make you throw your hands up and say, God, truly, it's true. Unless you build the house, we labor in vain. So what I'm getting at is you have to guard yourself religiously against the spirit of bitterness and disillusionment uh, with people. Especially, uh, make sure you take uh, uh, the pulse of your wife in this regard. You know, remember, many times we're called to throw ourselves under the wheels of people that are about to go off the cliff they, they don't see what's happening. You do. You see that wrong relationship. You see that bad attitude. You see that sin that's coming forth, uh, and you throw yourself in the way. You stand up against uh, self-will and selfishness. Uh, you find yourself being ahead for Sunday lunch as chopped liver, uh, and uh, you have to shake hands with people that come through the doors every single service uh, that have been speaking wickedly against you or abusing your wife or your children, uh, and you still are called, as Pastor Payne said, to minister uh, uh, with a Christ-like spirit. And that tests the best of us. And there's a reason Jesus said, in your patience, possess your souls. Very excellent piece of advice I got when I first went into the ministry is, is also protect your joy. You're going to have to learn how to be concerned without being consumed. You've got to remember, it's not about you, as Pastor said. It's about Jesus. And if they treated our master as they did, they're going to have... A, uh, some uh, times against your life. Jesus had a Judas. You're not going to escape that. And so as you you know, as you are disabused of the fantasies of ministry, you come into the hard realities, your guts are checked, and you decide, you, you stop one day, you think to yourself, do I want to do this? Knowing that there's going to be a certain element 
Jesus said, if they listen to me, they'll listen to you. If they did not listen to me, they won't listen to you. So there's a kingdom paradox. There's a tension. Some are going to be with us, and some, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're going to do what they're going to do. And I've had, I've had pastors from around the world, oh, that's you Americans. You Americans are, you know, you Americans, are, you rebelled against the crown anyway, and you have a spirit of rebellion in you Americans. I laugh. I just have a good laugh by that one because I want to tell you human nature is everywhere. So that means I'm called to disciple, to serve, and to, uh, and to do whatever I can to help the cause of Jesus Christ, knowing that a certain element uh, are going to turn on me. Can you drink that cup? Can you really? Because this is what makes a minister uh, be able to stay in the runnings a long time. And I've learned something. Uh, I've learned that one of my calls, inside my calling, is in Matthew 18 and verse 3. Jesus said, Verily I say to you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. So we're supposed to be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. I understand that. On one hand, I understand to be very practical, very uh, my eyes wide open. Uh, but on another hand, uh, what Spurgeon called, I have to practice studied indifference. That means that I know that the possibility could be uh, that person could come against my life, uh, but nonetheless, I'm going to do what's right. And as far as it depends on me, I'm only the Lord's. Uh, uh, messenger. I'm only delivering God's mail. If you got a problem with that and you, you take it out on me, uh, that's too bad. That's your problem. Uh, I'm going to keep my heart right. Hallelujah. His grace is sufficient. Let me end with an excerpt out of a child's uh, story that captures the thrill of being called. And always remember that according to Romans chapter 11, 29, the gifts and the callings of God are without Repentance. It's a childhood story, but it captures this. Entranced by the piper at the gates of dawn, Rat turns to his friend Mole. It's gone, sighed Rat. So beautiful and strange and new. Since it was to end so soon, I almost wish I had never heard it. For it has roused a longing in me that is pain. And nothing seems worthwhile but just to hear the sound once more and go on listening to it forever. No, there it is again. Now it passes on and I begin to lose it, he said presently. Oh, Mole, the beauty of it, the merry bubble and joy, the thin, clear, happy call of the distant piping, such music I never dreamed of. And the call in it is stronger than even the music is sweet. Row on, Mole, row, for the music and the call must be for us. Brother, sister, row on. That's all I have. Let's give our pastor a